Can you hear me now? Okay, good. Well, then, for those of you who may not have heard me, how many of you feel like you married a beast? That would be the question that's going on. Uh, recently, <clears throat> we just happened to pull this up. I don't even remember. My daughters, I think, said, hey, we want to watch a movie. And so we were flipping through uh, our, our cable stuff, and that movie came in. They're like, yeah, yeah, let's watch that. And I was like, no, no, I really don't want to watch that. Um, and really actually enjoyed it. I was completely surprised because sometimes when you watch a Disney movie or like a cartoon, you're, you're like completely let down when it's real people. Uh, but it was actually surprisingly good. And, and that's not an advertisement for this movie, but it's really about our sermon series, Beauty and the Beast. And the reason why uh, we wanted to go about that is because I think there are a lot of things that take place in relationships that most people overlook, most people want to ignore, most people want to not deal with. And then here's the reality. Here's the problem. Most people, when it comes to a marriage relationship, think that things are going to change once the ceremony happens. And things do change, just not the way you think they're going to change. <laughs> and it may be the fact that you think you're going to change the individual you're marrying when in reality that person's thinking the same thing. Oh, I'll change her. We're going to make sure we put this in the right setting or right situation. And so we're going to look at really what it means to be uh, in a relationship, the charm and the cruelty of relationships. Um, and we're going to address a number of things right from the start, right from the get-go, uh, all the way around. Because I believe the church for so long was silent on the fact of, of, of marriage and things like that at times. Um, or we didn't want to deal with certain subjects and situations. And so... I want to start off with this, and I want to ask you this. You can flip your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to warn you, we're going to be in a number of different scriptures today, but we're going to start off in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And while we get to there, I want to give you the idea of being deceived, because today's sermon series, or sermon title, sorry, is to don't be deceived. There are so many things that go on in relationships, and deception is one of them. Deception, by definition, is the act of deceiving someone. I know, that's really complicated, right? <laughs> All right? But in other words, or synonyms that go with it, can be deceit, duplicity, double-dealing, fraud, and trickery. And I want you to think about this, and I want you to, to, to ask yourself this question, because I believe that this is one of the struggles when it comes to relationships. When it comes to relationships, we've been deceived... I believe by the enemy, we've been deceived by culture to think that relationships entail certain things, that especially in a, in a, a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, that if, if you're really committed to each other, there should be certain things you're willing to do when the reality is, or the truth behind what Scripture says is it's completely contrary to what culture says. And I believe that wholeheartedly Christians, along with non-Christians, have bought in lock, stock, and barrel to the deception that the world has created about relationships. And so every February, I tell you, I, I love to talk about this because I think it's one of those things that as a teenager I would go and read. I, 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 I remember sitting at our, our church, the teenager sat in the back row. We all sat together, sat in the back row. My dad was one of the deacons, usually an usher as well, so he sat behind us. And if we got out of line, I would just get a firm thump in the back of the head. <laughs> All right, got it, good to go. But I remember sitting on the back row, and I'll make this sound bad, but I might have lost interest in the sermon. 
And I would start looking in the Bible about end times and sex. And you may say, well, that just sounds wrong. But I'm telling you, every teenager does it. Every teenager is looking for an answer to relationships. They're looking to an answer for life and things like that. And I remember doing that over and over and over again. And so as we enter into the new series, our goal is not to be deceived by what the enemy wants to do in our relationships. Our goal is to not be deceived by what culture and society, by the vain aspects and the characteristics that they say are necessary in relationships. Because relationships are built on honesty and openness and trust. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a statistic that actually shocked me. According to psychology today, in the United States, 45 to 55% of married women and 50 to 60% of married men engage in extramarital sex at some time during their relationship. That means over half of the marriages, Christian or non-Christian, because they say statistically there is no difference, respond in that way. Over 50% are involved in some sort of or engage in an extramarital sex at some point during their relationship, while 90% of Americans still believe that adultery is morally wrong. And nowhere is it more evident than in today's culture with the Me Too thing, with the sexual assault thing, with everything else that's going on. We have this mentality, we have this attitude that certain things are okay and certain things aren't okay, and we've been deceived. And I am here to tell you, and I think it's one of the things that our teenagers deal with, I think it's one of the things that our adults deal with, that deception is one of the ploys of the enemy to get you off the path that God wants for you to experience life and life more abundantly and onto the path where you can experience destruction and death. And hear me out. This is one of the things I stand by firmly, that the enemy wants nothing more than for your marriage to fail. Why? Because marriage represents something in the gospel. Marriage represents something in the Bible. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the what? Church. And so in order to get everything else off, if I can attack the marriage, if I can attack the home, if I can attack the family, then everything else is just going to go downhill from there. And so I believe we bought into the deception that takes place in the marriage relationship and in relationships in general. And I believe that there is no doubt that there are deceptive forces working in our relationships, whether that's the enemy putting pressure on you or your expectations putting pressure on you, or your upbringing, or the cultural norms. All of those things contribute to and are a part of the deception that takes place in our relationships. A matter of fact, you might have heard something like this. Well, that's the way I grew up when you got married. Maybe your husband or wife dropped that bomb on you, right? Well, that's the way we grew up. Well, that doesn't make it right. We have to begin to understand how the deception leads into what's going on. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Relationships built with a strong foundation will stand strong in the storms of life. A relationship or relationships built with a strong foundation will stand strong in the storms of life. And I have to clarify something because there may be somebody here who's not married or been married in the past or says, I want nothing to do with marriage. And I want you to understand this. When I'm talking about relationships in general, I'm talking about all relationships. 
whether it's a relationship with a husband and wife, relationship with a brother and sister, relationship with coworkers, relationships with cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, all of your relationships, when built with a strong foundation, will stand strong when the storms of life hit. If the foundation is firm, it will stand strong when the storms of life hit. If it's not, if it's built on a false foundation, if it's built on no foundation, guess what's going to happen? Your foundation will crumble. And anybody who's been married for any sort of time will tell you that the storms will hit. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of what? When. Storms will come. Everybody has a storm you have to go through. Everybody has multiple storms you will go through in life. And when you face the storms, the foundation or the, the, the relationship that's built on a strong foundation will succeed. It will stand the test of time. doesn't mean it's not going to be battered. It doesn't, not gonna, it doesn't mean it's not going to get challenged or anything like that. What it does mean is this. It will stand and stand firm. So here's the question. How do I build a strong relationship? Or how do I build strong relationships? Flip in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 12. Because listen to what he says. For the word of God is what? Living. What? The word of God is what? Living. What's that mean? It's not dead. It's alive, right? It's not complicated, is it? If something is breathing, it's living. If something is, is living, it means it's alive. There's life in it. So the word of God is living and active. I love how that, that portrays that out. Active means what? It's working. It's doing work. There's something involved in it. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And listen to what it says. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the what? The Word of God is living and active and judges my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. My thoughts towards dating, my thoughts towards marriage, my thoughts towards sex, my thoughts and attitudes towards all of those things are judged by what? The Word of God. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then I love verse 13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The beauty of that scripture is this. There is nothing that you can do that is hidden from God. Not a single thing. So you steal money, God sees it. You're addicted to pornography, God sees it. You tell your wife something and then go against what she says or what you told her you're going to do, God sees it. You lie to your coworkers or you're not working on the job but you're getting paid for it, God sees it. So who are you accountable to? God. How do I have a strong relationship? Number one is this. I have to have or I have to build a firm foundation. My life, everything that I decide has to be built on a firm foundation. And listen, God's word is living and active. That means it's not dead. It is alive. It gives us direction. It gives us purpose in life. It reveals truth and it exposes falsehoods. I hope you get that. It reveals truth and exposes what? Falsehoods. So here's the reality when it comes to relationships. Everything I get from here is the standard by which God set 
on relationships, in relationships, so therefore I build my life upon what his word says. So every relationship that I have is built upon the foundation of God's word. Whether a marriage relationship or a friendship, I have to build those relationships upon those on, on, on God's word. So I build a firm foundation. It's built upon God's word. In order to have a strong and steady relationship with others, my foundation has to be secure, firm, and strong. I remember as kids, we would go up to the mountain in, in Wyoming. We had a cabin. We still have a cabin. But we would try and build lean-tos in the rocks. Now, this is Wyoming. It's very windy. All right? And so we would build these lean-tos, and we'd have like this little cubby hole there. We'd go back. We'd get protection We'd go inside, usually because of storm or something. The winds would come up, and Sarah will tell you, the winds out here are nothing compared to Wyoming, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's all I tell you. And we would go back to our lean-to, no foundation. And what would be the problem? There's no lean-to. Your lean-to was a gone-to because it was out. <laughs> I mean, it was out. It was gone. You might have a few chunks of wood laying around, but the rest was blown everywhere else. That could be. It wasn't built on a firm foundation. And so when I build my relationships on a firm foundation, then they will be secure, firm, and strong. See, you cannot and you will not live a godly life apart from knowing and following the Bible. You cannot and will not have strong, godly relationships apart from knowing and following the Bible. So I build upon the firm foundation. Why? Because it's through God's word that he equips us to know who we're supposed to marry, to know how we're supposed to treat people, to know what he wants us to do, and to do the work that he's called us to do. It's only through God's word, the firm foundation with which I build everything upon, that I will be successful. And listen, it says it judges our thoughts and our attitudes. Every thought, listen to me, men, I'll even say this to women because it's a growing problem. Every thought that you have is judged by what? God and God's word. Every dirty thought you have that runs through your mind, my wife may not know, but guess who does? You may not know, but guess who does? I may be able to hide it from everybody else, but I can't hide it. Why? Because everything is laid bare. Every thought and attitude of my heart is laid open before God. And so if I want to have strong, meaningful, healthy, beautiful relationships, I have to build my life, I have to build my relationships on a firm foundation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to jump into this, for the Word of God is living and active, but listen to what 2 Timothy 3 says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, listen, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Now, here's the deal. If I want to know something about relationships, the Bible will teach me about those relationships. The Bible re will rebuke me when my relationships are out of line. In other words, when I have a certain opinion or belief about something, maybe built upon what culture says is acceptable, the Bible may say, you better get your tail in line because I'm rebuking you right now because you're out of line. So it's going to teach me the standard with which God has. It's going to rebuke me for when I'm wrong. It's going to correct me when I need correction. In other words, it's a discipline thing. I was thinking about this. When my dad, my dad would tell us to go get the belt. <laughs> Actually, it was really me. I don't remember my sister ever really getting the belt. Um, but he would say, go pick the belt. I was like, oh, man. 
That was like the longest walk up to my dad's bedroom. Open up the dresser drawer. Which belt do I want? Which one's not going to hurt as bad? It was a correction to keep me on the right course. Why? Because he knew there were certain things that worked for me that didn't work for my sister. For me, spanking worked. Put the fear of God in me. Everything else, like, oh, what's he going to do? The minute my dad would break out the belt, uh-oh, it's on. <laughs> but God's words will teach me, it will correct me, it will rebuke me, and listen, it will train me in righteousness. That's what we have to begin to understand, in the right ways that God wants me to follow. So it teaches me how to have right relationships. It tells me what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. It sets standards on who we are to date and who we are to Mary, it corrects us where, maybe, where we may have an incorrect viewpoint about someone or something. It even will teach us about sex and marriage. And for so long, the church was silent on so many issues about those things, like it was private. And listen, I believe your sex life should be private, but I want you to also understand this. Your sex life is worship to God. You ever thought about that? I know that sounds weird because you're like, wait a second here. But you realize that that's the way God created it. It is an act of worship, no different than the rest of your life. Why? Because all of your life is an act of worship to God. And so we build a firm foundation upon God's word. And the real issue is this. The real question I have to ask you is this. Do you take the, go- the truth of God's word and apply it to your life? Or do you just think it's just a good suggestion? Well, that's a great suggestion. But he's really not calling me to live like that. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. You know, surely he's going to change his standards. Like, I mean, he wants me to have fun. I need to have a good life. Listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And I think it's going to be something you know. It's, it's in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words, listen, of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So when I take in God's word and I don't put it into practice, I am what? Yeah. I am like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Listen, do you want to have a successful relationship with other people? Then your house has to be built upon the rock of God's word because that's the firm foundation by which everything else exists. That's where I get the answers in life. That's where I get the direction in my marriage. That's where I get how to forgive when I don't want to forgive. That's what I get when I deal with all of these situations. I have to build a firm foundation upon God's word and upon Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of all of that. Why? Because that's how I'm going to be successful in my relationship. Is See, the truth is that God's word will stand the test of time. He will give you a firm foundation in the storm of life. And to ignore or disobey God's word is only to be a fool. And the reality is, honestly, nobody likes to argue with a fool, do we? 
Matter of fact, the Bible says don't argue with a fool because you'll never win. You ain't got a chance. Learn to keep your mouth shut. When you're dealing with a fool, just... Everybody knows a person that maybe you always lose the argument, at least in their mind, because you're arguing with a fool. But listen, any time and every time we go to God's word and we're like, well, that's a great suggestion, but I'm not going to follow it, what are you doing? You're being a fool. Here's one of the things I'm convinced about based upon what God's word says and what I feel like Jesus has promised. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly in everything, including your relationships, including your marriages. You want to experience life more abundantly? Having the firm foundation of Jesus Christ first and foremost based upon his word and following his word and being obedient to his word you're going to have life and life more abundantly. If not, you're going to chase after cultural norms that will never succeed, never bring you fulfillment, and will always leave you wanting for more. Whether that's pornography or extramarital affairs like psychology today talked about. I can't imagine 50 to 65% roughly of people who are married at some point have an extramarital affair. Imagine what that does to your relationship. How do I build a strong relationship or strong relationships? Number one, I have to build a firm foundation. And listen, going back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and you've got to remember this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Husbands and wives... Those of you who are interested in dating, want to be dating soon, maybe you're not dating yet, maybe you're still holding out, whatever it is, you're looking for that person that God is, has, has for you. I want you to understand this. We will give an account for the relationships we have, not just our marriages, our relationships with our kids. We will give re, uh, an account for our relationships with coworkers, relationships with lost people. All of that is laid bare. And all of that is something we will give an account for. And God sees it. To me, the greatest thing about this is this. Look, you don't have to expose it to me. I don't have to see it and come to you. God knows exactly where you're at. God knows the struggle and the difficulty. So I build my life on the firm foundation of God's word in every way I can. Because nothing is hidden from God's sight. So number one, how do I build strong relationships? I build a firm foundation. Number two, treat everyone in a Christ-like manner. If you flip and you can, I'm just going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus was big on this. Whatever you want done to you, what do you need to do? Do it to others. I find it ironic in my own life how I want people to treat me and yet at times how I will treat other people. Maybe you find that in your life too. You want forgiveness and grace and patience, but you give unforgiveness, vengeance, and a very short temper. 
If I want to build a strong relationship, I have to learn to treat everyone in a Christ-like manner. In other words, I need to do what Christ would do to them. I need to treat them how Christ would treat me in everything. Listen to what he says. So in everything, marriage relationships, work relationships, family relationships, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Easy question. Very simple question. Do you do to others what you wish they would do to you? And the, the question may be, or the, the problem may be this, more, more or less. Do you, do you treat others in the way that you'd want to be treated? That's the hardest thing to ever ask. When I deal with the person in Walmart, do you put yourself behind the counter where they're at? Or the waiter or waitress on Sunday afternoon, do you put yourself behind or, or next to the table serving you? Can you picture that? One of the things I was talking with Ethan about this week was <clears throat> he's having a couple issues with some boys and I said... I, I know that sometimes they don't treat you the way you want to be treated. I said, but do you understand or know what they're going through at home? Because maybe there's something going on at home that they're taking out on you. Or maybe there are other boys or other kids in the school who are dishing stuff out on them, and all they know how to do is to react to you in that way. Easier said than done. I've already done, been through junior high and high school. Wouldn't want to go back. But the question is, do you treat others the way you want to be treated? Because when I treat others the way I want to be treated, then things change. My attitude changes towards them. And what I love about that clip that we showed right at the start in The Beauty and the Beast is appearances can be everything, can't they? That guy that the prince in the movie The Beauty and the Beast is turned into a beast. Why? Because he judged the unwanted guest based upon appearance and wanted nothing to do with her. And what's he do with the rose? Threw it at her feet. And lo and behold, what is it? She's the most beautiful woman in all the land. And yet he's cursed to become the beast. Do you realize how ugly you can be when you treat somebody different? I mean, I've met, I've met people that I thought, man, back in the day, that girl was smoking hot. And then you got to meet her. And you're like, that girl is the biggest jerk in the world. Why? Because you're going only by appearance. And you get to see the heart of an individual with how they treat other people. The heart of an individual is what's going to matter. I'm telling you, if you build a relationship, a marriage solely built on physical attraction, guess what's going to happen? That's going to go bye-bye at some point. But if I want a strong relationship, I want to understand that I can treat everyone in a Christ-like manner. One of the hardest things, I think one of the hardest things to do when you're dating, and, and I, this is the way I approach dating. Number one, 
If I knew the girl that I was dating, I wasn't going to be marrying, it was over. I'll make that sound callous, but it was over. Like, no reason for me to waste money on you. No reason for you to get your heart all in flutters and butterflies over me because it was over. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, you're not marriage material, but I, can I tell you this? It hurt. I'm serious, it hurt. When I would, I, I remember breaking up with a girl, the, the girl before I met Sarah. And I know I ripped her heart out. I like, look, it's 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 no offense to you. It's over. Brian, you're such a great Christian guy. I'm sorry, but you're not the one. And I know that comes across callous and harsh, but listen to me. I wasn't a jerk. I didn't like, you know, break up with her through text message like people do nowadays. Oh, sorry, it's over. You're done. You know, it, it wasn't that that thing. It there is a heart involved in it. And I never wanted to treat a girl in a way that I wouldn't be like, oh, you know what, if that dude did that to my eventual wife, I'd like want to have some words later. But I treated them how I would want to be treated. If a girl broke up with me and said, hey, it's over, it was like, man. I remember breaking up with my girlfriend in high school. She paid a dude to slash my tires. I'm not joking. The buddy came to me, he's like, hey, bro, your ex-girlfriend just paid me to slash your tires. I'm like, you going to slash my tires? He's like, no, I just took her money. I was like, holy cow, are you serious? I mean, she was that mad at me, and I went to church with the girl. That sounds harsh, but that was the way it was. I mean, <laughs> but treat others the way you want to be treated. I'm telling you, when you meet a person who looks beautiful on the outside, and maybe there are other people who... Just, you know, I, I go back to, to high school and I think about the, the, the guys that certain girls were just like head over and heels over. And I remember thinking, man, I'm, I'm in the locker room with that dude. That dude, I mean, I'm just thinking as a dad now, I'd kill any boy that touched my daughter to talk like that dude. You know what I mean? It's like, sorry, you're going down. But how do I treat others? What a person looks like on the outside doesn't truly reveal the nature and the heart on the inside. And so here's what I say when we say this. Do to others what you would have them to do. Give grace where grace is needed. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Love even those who are your enemies because that's what Jesus called. Remember, you have heard it to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But Jesus says, I tell you to love your enemies as your what? Self. Now, why'd you got to screw that up, Jesus? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And number three, one of the biggest things I think we can stress and understand and focus on, but how do I build strong relationships? Number three, I believe, is this. You have to begin to honor marriage. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Now listen to me. You and I cannot control how people view marriage, but you can control you. You and I cannot control how people view marriage. We cannot control the government, what they're going to set up as a stipulation or standard for marriage. You and I cannot control any of that. But what we can control is ourselves. We can control 
our marriages. We can control how we relate to others. Marriage has become something that is not honored by many. And I would even say it this way. It is not honored by many in the church. And the reason why I say that is this. Over and over and over again, I have had people come to me and tell me, you know what? Those are just old standards and stipulations that God set up. He didn't really intend for me to wait until marriage to have sex. He's wanting me to test drive the car. Marriage should be honored by all, and we honor marriage by being obedient to what God has called us to in the first place. See, marriage has become something more that is not honored. And before I even get into this homosexual marriage idea, I want to talk about the current state of dating and marriage in our society and in the church. We enter the dating scene trying to find someone special, all the while lowering the standards God has given us. And so with that, when we lower the standards, we settle for second best rather than waiting on God's best. And so I want to ask you that question, do you settle for second best? Because the reality also is this, that if I settle for a pornographic image on the computer rather than my wife, guess what you're settling for? Second best not God's best. Anytime I go down into a relationship problem or quandary because of my selfish desires, I am now settling not for what God deems is best, but I am settling for second best. Why? Because now I'm saying, well, God, you just don't know. You don't understand. And the problem is we become just like the beast because we're turned into something that we should have never been turned in in the first place. And as you know the story with Beauty and the Beast is he has until the last rose petal falls on that flower to find true love or he's going to be what? The beast forever. And what I am convinced of is this. A lot of people are settling for being a beast the rest of their life. Why? Because they're not willing to look deep within and stay committed to God's word. Instead, they want to go their own way. And when they go their own way, they fall into the trap of despair and anxiety because your marriage isn't built on a firm foundation. Your marriage was built on physical looks and sexual stuff. And all of that begins to go haywire when you have kids and you get older and everything else goes and falls apart. And next thing you know... More and more people are getting divorced. Do you realize the numbers have gone through the roof of people who have been married 25 years or longer and now getting divorced? Why? Because kids are gone now. They quote unquote fell out of love. I'm sorry, you don't fall out of love. That's a falsehood that culture has set up. Why? Because love is not an emotion. Love is a spiritual gift. Love is what God set up in the first place. Love is what everything is based upon. Love is patience. Love is kind. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. You get all of those things played out and we begin to understand that we have to honor marriage. See, we're quick to hop into bed with someone in order to test drive the car. We're quick to get a divorce. We're quick to run into an extramarital affair. We're quick to run to pornography. And we've even had things, or I've had people tell you this, you can't expect me to wait till I'm married. Can you? Seriously? Let me just flip over real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
You can mark your spot there if you want to. You can read it. You just write it down. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe, speak volumes to what God sets as a standard for us so that we can be successful in our relationships and we can be successful in our marriages and we can be successful as followers of Christ. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse 14. All right, actually, verse, uh, kind of verse 15, sorry. Do you know that your bodies are, your, are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Now, hold on, because some of you are like, wait a second, that was my girlfriend, not a prostitute. Gotcha. Just follow this. Let's let, let it play out. He says, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now, it's not talking about a prostitute like you went out and paid for something. It's talking about what takes place. You are prostituting the woman when you do this. For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And I'm going to show you one of the standards that we lower. Do not be yoked together with, anybody know what it says? Unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Bilal? Now listen to me, and let me just clarify something. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with lost people. That's not what it's talking about. It doesn't mean you can't have good relationships with lost people. Not what it's talking about. It says do not be unequally yoked. Anybody understand or know why that is the case? Because here's the reality. In order to have a marriage built on a firm foundation, it takes two people who are committed to building upon that foundation. If you build a firm foundation upon God's word and Jesus Christ, and you have somebody in the meanwhile building right next to you, connecting onto your building, when that building falls, what happens to your building? It falls too. Why? Because you're connected. You're interrelated. You are united. The two have now become one. And a building is only as strong as its weakest point. And so listen. If you're dating and you're looking for that potential mate, don't settle for second best. Second best is not the best. Second best is not going to lead you to happiness and joy in a life more abundantly. Second best will cause you problems and conflicts and turmoil and heartache. Marriage is to be honored. That means to be regarded with great respect, to keep, to obey, to follow. Marriage is a covenant relationship never to be broken. And listen, in today's cultural norm, what we say is it's going to be broken. It's just a matter of time. But listen, when I enter into a relationship where I am equally yoked, you're still going to have conflict. You're still going to have disagreements. You're still going to have fighting. You're still going to have pain. You're still going to have storms. But let me tell you something. The difference when two people are built on the firm foundation, building together, you withstand the storms. But when the storm hits and one is on the foundation and one isn't, 
you're set up for failure. And the cost is too high. And so I'm here to tell you that one of the things that I can see over and over played out in our society is that when you run to the arms of another woman or another man, it's never the answer. And listen to me, I, we sat in the men's conference this weekend and Johnny Hunt, I, I think there were two, maybe three times where he referenced pastors who ended up having extramarital affairs with somebody in their church. And it tears my heart out every time. And that's why I'm here. To t- I will t- I'll stand by this. I always tell my wife this. I will never meet with another woman by myself. So if you call me and you ask to meet, you call up here at the church and you're like, hey, we need to meet, don't get offended when I tell you no because my wife can't meet with us. It's just the way it is. I have set up guardrails. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll, and I'm sure I've said this before. I know I've told our life group. My wife has the parental controls password on our TV. Why? Because I had a problem with pornography when I was in high school. And I don't want to have anything that could pull me back towards that. She's got the password. It's caused a number of problems because she's been in bed. And I was watching the Royals game. This was back in the playoffs. Like I said, I've told my life group, watching the Royals game. And whatever was supposed to be on after the Royals game, like because the Royals game went long, like was parental guidance stuff. And like my iPad shut down. Wake her up. You got to put in the parental controls. She's like, what, are you serious? You're waking me up to put in parental controls. I'm like, yes, it's a baseball game. But you have to put the guardrails in place so that you guard and protect your marriage. Why? Because I honor marriage. I honor my marriage. I want to honor your marriage. I want to honor my relationship and your relationship. And so I want you to understand that those are the things you have to begin to put in place. Why? Because that's the main thing. Listen, relationships are important. Every relationship is important. Every relationship matters. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is a relational God. We see that all throughout Scripture. God created us completely different than everything else. He spoke everything else into existence, but with man, he formed us. He fashioned us. Why? Because it represents an intimate relationship he has with us. God is a relational God, and God shows his relational connection by sending Jesus. He wanted us to have a relationship with him, and the only way to do that was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he offers us life more abundantly, life in Christ, so we can have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that we can grow and experience life more abundantly in Christ. Listen to me. Your marriage will only be as good and as strong as your relationship with Christ is, period. You may look at other people and go, man, I want that as a relationship. I want to be the guy who's 70 years old. We went to Family Life Matters, whatever, what is it called? Anyways, we went to the marriage conference over here, uh, I guess it's been like three years ago now. Family Life Today puts it on over in Kansas, Shawnee, whatever it is, Overland Park. And I remember this couple, and listen to me, for some of you couples who've been married for years, great examples, but listen, a marriage is no different than an oil change. It's no different than a car. You need new tires, you need an oil change every now and then. That means you've got to put work into what you're doing. You can't just go through like what Paul Tripp just talked about. You can't just go through, oh, she knows I love her. 
Oh, he knows I love her. You know, just got to get over it. It takes work. And when I honor my marriage, when I build upon the foundation of Christ first and foremost, then everything else, listen to me, everything else is just candy on top. It's like an ice cream sundae. You got the sprinkles and everything. It's like golden. But if you don't have that nailed down, you won't succeed in every other relationship. I don't care if it's a work relationship, a son and daughter, mother-father, mother-daughter, father-son. Your relationships will fail if your foundation is not firm. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the beast, even though I know I'm the beast in our relationship. Well, that's not really true. That's a joke. Sorry. Kristen Gamble, for those of you who know Kristen and Drew that used to lead worship here, her and one of the other girls in our youth group used to call Sarah a beast. First time I heard it, I was like, what's going on? They're like, Sarah, you're a beast. So I just joke around and say, you're the beast in the relationship. So... (laughs) But listen, nobody wants to be the beast. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to love. I don't know many, I don't know that I've ever met a person who says, I don't want to love anybody. My question to you is this. Are your relationships built on a firm foundation so that when the storms of life hit, it will stand firm? through those storms. The only way that can happen is with relationship with Christ first. Let's pray. God, you know all things, and just as Scripture said here, you have laid everything bare. There may be things where you're able to hide from everybody else. We may may be even able to hide them from our spouse. But God, you know. You know our heart. You know our attitudes, you know our actions, you know what we've done, what we haven't done. You have seen it all. And so God, today I just pray for the relationships that are evident here in the room, whether it's a relationship within the church, whether it's a husband and wife relationship, whether it's a, it, it's a, a relationship at work. God, we know that we can build strong relationships, especially when we stand upon your word. But God, I want to pray specifically today. Maybe there's a marriage relationship here. Maybe there's some struggle, some difficulty, some pain, some heartache. They're facing some storms. God, I know that when we build our relationships upon the firm foundation of your word, with Christ as the cornerstone, we will be successful. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through difficult times, but we can stand or withstand the storms. So God, today I pray. That just where each one of us are at, that you would deal with us. You would convict us. You would, just as the scripture says, you would teach us, you would correct us, you would rebuke us and train us so that we can be righteous. We can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you want to do in and through us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We're going to close in song.